And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to uh, Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I typically say they call me Q Ward. But then that makes it seem like there's just this segregated group over here somewhere that calls me that. <laughs> Everybody calls me Q. So it's not even like I can't even say they anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm Q Ward. I am Q Ward. That's my Instagram handle, too, by the way. Listen, um, man, give this man a follow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I am Q Ward. I can't even, you know, it's not they that call me that. Everyone calls me that, including my mom. Yes, indeed. Uh, but stick around. Uh, we got a lot more show coming your way. Um, we will be talking about uh, Philadelphia banning some traffic stops in hopes of making a more equitable police force for all folks and uh, what that might result in. In our way, Black History Fact, we're going to talk about 40 acres and a mule. But first, it's time to become a better ally and today, what I want to talk about is another movie. You know, in the first half of the show, we talked about The Harder They Fall being number one on Netflix. So shout out to them. But right if now, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Please do. Not a true story, but true Based on real true life characters. characters. Exactly. But um, in order to become a better ally today, we collectively recommend you check out another movie this one is called king richard um we talked about this a bit before but we're getting real close to the actual release date and there's a lot of hype around the film and i really think it's important for folks to check it out for those that don't know king richard is about the williams family uh venus and serena the famous tennis tennis players and it's really their father's story their father is king richard uh is played by will smith in the movie and, you know, for, for lots of things that folks might not know about, you know, there might be folks who've been freshly clicked on to what the black experience might be like since 2020. Um, you know, you might have heard things like, you know, black folks have to be twice as good to be good enough, you know, things like that. I really feel like this movie is going to touch on things like that, because for years we've known we didn't have to know the Venus and Serena Williams story in order to know what they had to go through dark-skinned black women from compton and watts you know what i mean to get to the top of the world in their field so you know it's there's a ready assumption for for us but you know it's always helpful to provide context you know and you know the, i believe this movie will illuminate some of that and and you know further create or or deepen the the empathetic connection that we've kind of started cultivating with each other um black folks and, and non-black folks and so you know in order to become a better ally at least for this week we recommend you checking out um king richard so you know put it on your calendars and shout yeah. out to will smith by the way in this new world that we live in movie theaters are not thriving in the way that they once did so will smith has either negotiated for his co-stars or taken money from his own salary to make sure that the people working on the movie got bonuses that they typically would have gotten from movie ticket right, sales that release. don't exist anymore because the movie is not just coming out in theaters but being streamed simultaneously and because of that a lot of people just stay home and watch movies now so will smith to make a more equitable world for his team 
co-stars and the crew for the movie made sure that people got those bonuses. So talk about becoming a better ally. He's doing it in a very, very kinetic way. Yeah. Pay people. We'll get there. We got to talk about 40 acres and a mule too, but, but yeah, shout out to Will Smith. He's, he's good for that. Him and Jay-Z, but for all the stuff that they get online, they, they put their money where their mouth is. I'll say that much, you know, cause I don't know what I don't know, but I've seen lots of stories and lots of examples of them doing just that. So now traffic stops. Q, have you ever been pulled over before? Unfortunately, in the pitch black in the middle of the night in Mississippi in a new Porsche. Oh, man, that sounds like a fun night. In the southern United States at the height of one of the most polarizing summers in this country's history. Racially I was pulled over. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a funny story because I was pulled over in that same Porsche with you. Um, well, as it turns out, uh, it's something that we knew for a long time. Uh, we used to call this driving while black. Basically, what it means is you got pulled over because you were black. There was some minor, very minor infraction. You know, maybe I switched lanes and I didn't signal or maybe I whatever, just the, 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 the smallest of things. Right. Maybe I rode too close to the dividing line and, the and it made a slight noise. cost of vibrating noise, which then caused a state trooper uh, and county sheriff to pull me over in the middle of the night and in then get a dog and then call drug dogs. <laughs> Who, who as happened. it turned out, smelled drugs in the brand new Porsche that we just picked up in Florida when there were no maybe, and they searched it. Because <laughs> maybe in the parking lot, somebody who had drugs on them <laughs> brushed up against the car 600 miles ago. Yeah. And, and, the, and the odor stayed on the car outside of the car while we were driving. Yes. Maybe that happened. For those yes. that don't know, obviously, this is a story that Q and I share. This actually happened. And the officers actually said that to us after they got the dogs, the dogs, quote, indicated the presence of drugs. They searched the brand new car and there was nothing in it. And then they told us that that someone might have leaned up against the car the last time we got gas and they might have had a joint in their pocket. And that's what the dog's smelling. And we're in the middle of nowhere, having driven. Maybe it was about 400 miles by then because we were close to Louisiana. Anyway, that's a real story that happened. But I digress. Driving while black. It's a thing. Uh, we've known about this for a long time. And it's a... Uh, how do I say this? It's, it's one of the primary ways that police can probe into our individual lives. They, they can do a deep search with whatever it is that you have on your person. They can find out who you are, whether or not you have been wanted for anything, whether or not you've done anything in your past. They can find out what's on your person. They can, you know, whatever. And if they want to escalate things, once they have you pulled over for the initial infraction, whatever it may be, may, may be they can detain you there, usually until they find something that they want to you know, him you up on. Now, we, uh, and this is not just black people, there's a lot of people, we don't believe that this happens in the same way to 
we'll say white folks. I can't say non-black folks because I do. I'm from California, so I and I live in Arizona, so I'm familiar with the way police interact with my Hispanic brothers and sisters or my Latinx brothers and sisters, um, as well as Native folks and you know other melanated types of individuals. Um, but we do recognize that uh, the, the same protocol and practice isn't uh, put in play when the driver is a white person um, as often or with as uh, extreme uh, of an implementation. With that said, um, traffic stops usually end up resulting in something crazy when they do, you know, uh, like, like the instance we just mentioned, you know, getting pulled over. Uh, obviously, you know, we don't have any acute. Have you ever done a drug in your life? I had an Advil. Um, <laughs> like three days ago, cause I had a splitting headache. <laughs> well, I should, I should say this right then. Have you ever done an illegal drug? Well, I guess I'm life? sorry. Advil is a, is a name brand. Ibuprofen. Okay. Okay. It's, it's what it's called in the, in the medical world. Got it. Got it. Um, but in, in any illegal drug ever in your life, illegal and or recreational, never in my life. Perfect. Um, same is true with me. Uh, and you've never drank alcohol. I've never drank alcohol even so that we could have this conversation. I have, I have unfortunately tasted alcohol, but I have never had a drink. Oh, well, I've never, you know, same pretty much. And it's gross. Does it taste like for, poison? It smells like it tastes like poison. For those that don't know, it is gross. Anyway, that's just me. You know, I, I, I have a fun life without all that. I'm, a, you know, got a good story here. Anyway, um, it's so crazy that we would get pulled over. And almost every time I've gotten pulled over, um, the, the line of questioning goes to, have you been drinking? Which, from what I understand, is standard practice, especially if you're out at two in the morning. You know, Q and I are both DJs, for those that don't know. And uh, we work late. We work weekends, you know, when folks typically go out and a lot of folks drink. So that's standard practice. No issue there. Um, but, you know, getting pulled over in the daytime, uh, unless you're doing like some gross speeding thing or something like that. Uh, the line of questioning often goes to, do you have weapons or drugs in the car that I should know about, which might be standard practice for everybody, for every police department across the country. Again, I'm not um, trying to say what, what the protocol should or shouldn't be. You know, however they get down, that's how they get down. But I don't imagine that dogs get called on everybody, you know, only in cases where you think these people might be criminals. And the funniest part of the story is, that, you know, you and I are the furthest thing from that. You know, I, I told a story before when I got pulled over um, near the airport one time. This was in uh, 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 Arizona. I got pulled over near the airport and pulled out of the car. And I told the officer the same thing I just said. I've never done a drug. I've never drank alcohol. And they said, oh, yeah? Well, how about this? Why don't we pull you out, handcuff you, sit you on the side of the freeway, and we're going to search the car. You know, after I'd already given them permission to do it, I'm like, There's, you're not going to find anything in here. And later, the officer told me that's exactly what someone who does meth would say. And I was like, wow, you know, what a what a what a stretch, you know. Now, again, I, I need to make my point here. Traffic stops. Overwhelmingly. Target black drivers, um, especially in, in densely populated places like Philadelphia, um, 
and or rather escalated traffic stops. We'll say it that way, where, you know, you have dogs, you have, you know, extra more aggressive tactics deployed. I'm going to handcuff you. I'm going to sit you on the side of the street. I'm going to get the dogs. I'm going to call back up. I'm going to do this sort of thing. Right. So those things overwhelmingly on the other end of it is a black driver. Um, again, we call that driving while black. Well, uh, we've seen how policing oftentimes leads to, you know, scared police who pull their weapon and murder people on the side of the road. We've seen how policing disproportionately affects black and over policing disproportionately affects black and brown communities because, you know, where you put the police, that's where the arrests are going to be made, you know, um, and that's not to say that crime doesn't happen elsewhere. It's just not policed in the same way. Right. Um, Philadelphia, their city council on and this. I, a lot of these notes come from Channel 29 in Philadelphia. Um, they had a, a city council vote for a driver driving equity bill which basically bars police from stopping drivers for minor traffic violations. So I'll read a little bit about it. Uh, in primary violations, police officers are permitted to conduct traffic stops in the name of public safety. In secondary violations, the traffic stop would no longer be used for enforcement. And these are what are considered secondary violation, according to their driving equity bill. One is the vehicle is not registered within 60 days of the observed infraction. The registration plate is not clearly displayed, fastened, or visible. Uh, single brake light, headlight, running light, et cetera, not illuminated. That's another big thing that hey, I've been pulled over before, and I've heard lots of times, uh, your license plate light bulb is out, you know? And instead of saying, hey, your light bulb is out, you might want to get that fixed. It's, hey, your light bulb is out when you step out of the car. Have you had anything to drink? Where are you going? Where are you coming from? Do you have anything in the car you should know about? Any weapons? Have you done drugs? You know, like all this sort of interrogation sort of a thing. And it, 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 at best, it's harassment. At worst, it's obviously a death sentence. Um, minor obstructions. Uh, I believe that to be like moving instructions. Like I said, maybe switching lanes without, you know, using a blinker. Uh, bumper issues. Operation of vehicle without official certificate of inspection. This might be a Philadelphia thing. Uh, or unlawful operation without evidence of emissions inspection. Um, so these are the things that uh, folks cannot be pulled over for. And what I imagine they're doing is instead of pulling a person over and pulling them out of their car, they're taking the license plate number, sending it in. <laughs> and then this person gets a letter in the mail saying, hey, we've observed this. You can either fix it or pay this fine, right? Which minimizes the amount of police interaction, which if according to police, you know, if these traffic stops are very scary, intense situations should be good for police too, because now they don't have to pull out their guns and they don't have to be terrified walking up to a car that they just pulled over for quote unquote, breaking the law. And, you know, everyone should be happier in theory. What do you think? For those of you who have listened to this program before, you realize that every time my brother does this, I interject, and it's because he is the far more graceful, gracious, and optimistic one of the two, <laughs> gives cops the out of being afraid, and that is complete bullcrap. They use hate, 
Sure. And in a lot of times, racism. And then they cry scared after they murder people while they have guns and the people that they murder don't. So every time my brother says that these cops are afraid, I raise my hand and interject because maybe one in 10, maybe one in 50 of those officers was actually scared for his life. But when the people that you shoot in the back are running away from you, it is very, very difficult for me to accept that you did that because you were afraid, officer such and such. Yeah, you're right. I think it shows that that person was afraid if they're running away. I mean, I've unfortunately had to run away from a gun before, and I realized that bullets go a lot faster than my legs do. But it's a scary situation nonetheless. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the thing is, I think that with our show, I, I, I try to account for a person who might be, we'll call them a, a moderate folks that really believe that police are doing the best that they can 10 times out of 10, you know, and don't account for the fact that there might actually be a lot more bad apples <laughs> than they, than they, than they're comfortable with in their version of the story. Right. They, they like that few bad apples uh, uh, motif, if you will. And you know, we, we recognize there's a long form of systemic, <laughs> you know, institutional oppression uh, on one specific community or really a couple of different communities, you know. And uh, so in order to speak to that person and to allow them their truth, you know, I think that a lot of times my approach just doesn't you know, their cognitive bias exists. And I don't want a person listening to us to say, oh, this is another one of those people and turn us off rather to listen a little bit further. So I appreciate you interjecting because you are absolutely right. I know that you're right. And I'm sure most people that are listening know that you're right, but there might be some folks who are, you know, they might be related to a police officer. They might, you know, they, they, from their perspective and their vantage point, they have to see the best in what this institution is. Please. And ladies and gentlemen, what you just listened to is another thing that Ramses kind of makes fun of me for, and it's that he just made very clear that there is a lot of context and nuance to both sides of all of the discussions that we have. And listening to him explain that made it make complete sense why he presents it the way that he does. And this is the last show on Civic Cipher. Well, I will interject. No, my, dude, all the time. The fear is nonsense narrative because what he just says is important. It is important for us to get further than that part of the message sure? into what could be education and solution and reprieve and forgiveness and progress sure. that has to come after that. And we still need people who don't agree with all of the takes that we have and all of the points of view that we share to listen and maybe hear something that they wouldn't have otherwise. So thank you, Ramses for being that even kill and that open-minded and having the foresight to know that we need the people to not turn the station as soon as they turn it on. Right. Right. That's fair. But please so I digress. interject as often as you can. You know, I, there, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of folks where this is their first episode. You know, fortunately this past week, our show has been picked up in a few new cities. Um, so to all of our new listeners, welcome. 
please check out civiccipher.com and download this and any previous episodes and, you know, get caught up to speed. And we hope that you'll ride with us as we try to make, you know, it a little bit easier for us to all be brothers and sisters, better brothers and sisters to each other on this, in this country and on this planet. You know, it's a much bigger vision, but for now we're, we live in the U.S. So this is what we're talking about. Um, now, I do want to read this quote. I'm um, going back to the uh, Philadelphia banning the minor traffic stops. Um, and again, this comes from Channel 20, a Channel 29 article out of Philadelphia. Quote, uh, data and lived experiences showed us the problem and data will likely be key to making sure this is done right, said council member Isaiah Thomas. Quote, data will tell us if we should end more traffic stops or amend how this is enforced. Data will also tell other cities that Philadelphia is leading on this civil rights issue and it can be replicated, end quote. So um, this is based on numbers. Philadelphia is obviously a huge city, um, huge population center in this country. And for them to take a step like this uh, to try to make things right, you know, it's, it's one thing if it's, and I want to say this too, and I, I do want to hear a little bit more of your thoughts, Q. It's one thing to say, um, you know, that all of these crimes are the fault of black people breaking the law, right? I, I get that. I understand that. But if we're doing this across the board, then what we need is the same amount of policing done in all parts of every city, right? That means the same amount of people getting pulled over who are non-black and, uh, you know, non, non-Latinx, non-melanated. Um, and then the impact on those people's lives and, and, and that the, the, the traffic stops are as intrusive, you know? And then if we compared apples to apples, then we would really see, is this a violation of, you know, your civil, civil liberties, which a lot of folks on the right and a lot of folks who are moderates as well really want to protect. You know, this is why police don't just come into your house, right? But if there's a traffic stop, if they can have reasonable suspicion or probable cause and they can get a dog that will, you know, whatever, um, then it, there's ways to wiggle in there. And this is why police don't come to your house and they do go to your car, right? But again, if we, if we spread this out evenly across the board for all races, then we would see more numbers because, <clears throat> excuse me again, <clears throat> as the data shows, and we're going to pick on marijuana this time. Obviously, marijuana is becoming more and more legal as time goes on. But over the course of, you know, the war on drugs, uh, there's I, I forget the exact numbers. So I'm going to have to look them up and get back to you. But I do know that more black men have been imprisoned for marijuana possession uh, or violations or whatever than white folks. But the users are approximately the same with, I think, the edge uh, being there's slightly more white users. Uh um, and this is proportional to the population. So it would be like one in three or something like that. So roughly the same numbers, but there are more black people in prison for it, despite black people only making thir up 13% approximately of the population of this country. So that goes to show you that these traffic stops have had an adverse effect uh, and a domino effect on the black community. You know, when you have folks that are introduced into the system and then now it becomes tougher to get jobs and you know, taking black men away from families, things like this, despite how good of fathers black people are, according to the CDC study in 2014, black men are excellent fathers. Q, you would agree, right? <laughs> I'm laughing because 
we're the greatest of all time. Yes, absolutely. That is true. According to the CDC, look it up. <laughs> but also, um, you know, some of the things about some of the stereotypes about black men not being in the homes, things like this, you know, a lot of these problems you can trace back to this war on this misguided war on drugs and the the, the front facing um end of this war on drugs is a lot of times police traffic stops. So um, we're going to have to stop it right there um, and probably have to do a follow-up with this, but it will be interesting to find out how this unfolds um, in the coming months and years uh, of exactly what the result of this will be. But for now, we do have to move on to our way black history fact. Today, we're going to talk about 40 acres and a mule. Uh, that might have been something you might have heard of, or maybe it's come up in school or whatever, but we're going to peel back a couple of layers. And I was inspired to kind of go in this direction today because Q and I wanted to talk about the, um, the watermelon uh, uh, trope. <laughs> Uh, you know that the black folks love watermelons that you know goes all the way back to like you know slavery or rather are watermelons racist and so um 40 acres and a mule like watermelons uh was in theory supposed to be a way that black folks once emancipated could have some sort of economic independence and and an economic future way to care for themselves and their posterity so um this article comes from pbs.org i've kind of edited it down for time the author was uh, henry lewis gates jr and i will begin the promise was the first systemic sorry systematic attempt to provide a form of reparation to newly freed slaves and it was astonishingly radical for its time pro-socialist and its implications. In fact, such a policy would be radical in any country today. The federal government's massive confiscation of private property, some 400,000 acres, formerly owned by Confederate landowners, and its methodical redistribution to former Black slaves, what most of us haven't heard is that the idea really was generated by Black leaders themselves. Try to imagine how profoundly different the history of race relations in the United States would have been had this policy been implemented and enforced. Had the former slaves actually had the access to the ownership of land of property, if they had a chance to be self-sufficient economically to build, accrue, and pass on wealth. After all, one of the principal promises of America was the possibility of average working people being able to own land and all that such ownership entailed. As we know all too well, this promise was not to be realized for the overwhelming majority of the nation's former slaves, who numbered about 3.9 million. Um, today's conversations, I'm, I'm going to take a break. Today's conversations about reparations, um, this is the, the, the inception of those conversations. So this is how, how long we've been talking about that. And, re and reparations have been paid to Native folks to our, our Asian brothers and sisters. The, it, reparations have been paid many times in this country's history to bring some sort of balance, economic balance, you know, and, and moral, you know, it, it's a way of saying we, we acknowledge this, this was wrong and here's what we're gonna do about it. Um, and so I do believe that there's more conversation to be had about reparations, but I'll continue this article. 
Today, we commonly use the phrase 40 acres and a mule, but few of us have read the order itself. Three of its parts are relevant here. Section one bears repeating in full. The islands from Charleston South, the abandoned rice fields along the rivers for 30 miles back from the sea, and the, the country bordering the St. John's River, Florida, are reserved and set apart for the settlement of the Negroes, now made free by the acts of war and the proclamation of the President of the United States. Section two specifies that these new communities, moreover, would be governed entirely by black people themselves on the islands and in the settlements hereafter to be established. No white person whatsoever, unless military officers and soldiers detailed for duty will be permitted to reside and the sole and exclusive management of affairs will be left to freed peoples themselves. By the laws of war and orders of the president of the United States, the Negro is free and must be dealt with as such. This is basically... Um, the same arrangement that the government has with uh, our indigenous slash native brothers and sisters who live on sovereign land in this country. Still Americans, still vote in presidential elections, but have their own tribal leaders, tribal governments, and so forth. So we, an, another way to refer to them is, as re reservations, Indian reservations, those sorts of things. Same sort of relationship here. All right, I'll finish. Uh, finally, Section 3 specialized the allocation of land. Each family shall have a plot of not more than 40 acres of tillable ground, and when it borders on some water channel will not more than 800 feet water front. In the possession of which land the military authorities will afford them protection until such time as they can protect themselves or until Congress shall regulate their title. And what happened to this astonishingly visionary program? I, I edited out the mule part just for time. What happened to this astonishingly visionary program, which would have fundamentally altered the course of American race relations? Andrew Johnson, Lincoln's successor and a sympathizer with the South, overturned the order in the fall of 1865. And as Barton Myers sadly concludes, returned the land along the South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida coast to the planters who had originally owned it to the very people who had declared war on the United States of America. So this is our way black history fact. What do you think about that, Q? As is the case today, a very large portion of our country would shoot themselves in the foot if it meant that they could also hold black people back. That is a very clear, very sad, but very, very honest truth. There are poor people in this country that are not black that vote in every election against their own self-interest because of the myth of the type of progress and the type of equity it will provide for poor black people. That is not nothing. That's not something that's new, but it is something that is very true and always has been since the very foundation of these United States. No, I we will return. Like we will return and land to people we were just at war with <laughs> before we give land to the black American. You know, um, it's funny how much power the president has, because one thing I didn't know is that. Uh, the uh, Lincoln successor, um, Andrew Johnson, I believe I just said it. Uh, where'd it go? Andrew Johnson. Yep. Um, that he was the person responsible for that. And then therein creating 
what would ultimately become the reparations debate, the great reparations debate that has existed in this country for hundreds of years. And in doing so has allowed those very same people that you mentioned to um, exactly what they need to blame their problems on black folks, because if black folks had reparations and had, you know, economic mobility and so forth and so on, you know, a, we wouldn't have as many distressing facets of our experience in this country um, but B, there might be some advancement, you know, by black folks and some, some more examples of black folks really doing well for themselves. And I, I found, at least in my estimation, that it's really important for some folks on the right to be able to point out, hey, Mexicans are taking your jobs. Hey, you know, uh, black people are on welfare. Hey, you know, the reason the country is not what has not fulfilled its American dream, quote unquote, promised to you is because of these groups of people. So I have to leave it right there. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And I am your, your host, Quentin Ward, affectionately referred to by many as Q. Yes, indeed. And we want to thank you for tuning in to Civic Cypher once again this week. Please hit the website, civiccypher.com. Download this and any previous episodes. Follow us on social media at Civic Cypher. And please consider making a donation. It definitely helps the show grow. Until next week, y'all. Peace. Hey, yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated showing you what rhyme travel is. Words is spittoon from sunlight to moon. Busting off stage like gunfights and moons. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines.